Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Before we start, um, there's a very pretty earring (laughs) that's looking for its partner. (laughs) (laughs) Great. And one other thing that I I forgot to mention completely. uh, is I uh, <laughs> maybe I shared it last time. I came out with there's a new book, uh, Awakening Joy for Kids, that um, that just came out, and uh, I have a whole bunch of them at home, but I completely forgot to uh, to bring them here, um, and um, I did it with a really wonderful, uh, gifted. Uh, teacher, classroom teacher, who has been using the Awakening Joy uh, principles and lessons uh, in the classroom up in Vancouver for a number of years, and um, she's fantastic, and it came out, and yeah, I think it's okay. I think it's pretty good. So uh, maybe next time I, I come, I'll, I'll have a few. As I mentioned before the break, the title of the talk tonight is A Box Full of Darkness. And I won't keep you in suspense um, um, at all. Uh, It comes from a poem by Mary Oliver, a very short poem, the whole poem is two lines, uh, and it's um, the title of the poem is "The Uses of Sorrow." It comes from a collection of of her poems uh, called "Thirst," which she wrote after her partner of forty years passed away. I think in two thousand five or so. This is the poem. Someone I loved. Oh, sorry. Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. That's the poem, The Uses of Sorrow. Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. So, mm, economical, and so to the point of the, one of the great mysteries in life, that 
our pain and our sorrow, whether it's loss or disappointment or uh, unmet expectations or hurt or all the different ways that suffering can come and visit us, um, that that too is part of what brings us, what makes us who we are. And that too can be not only something to be endured, but can be a gift. And I was moved to... um, to talk about this uh, and to use that um, that poem uh, after being with my friend Kay Cleave, who I mentioned wrote that that book uh, Kangaroo Tale um, that's in the back. Um, I was with her this Sunday for a, um, a, a just a really beautiful, inspiring event. Kay often comes when she's here on this side of the world. She splits her time between her native Australia and uh, and here in the Bay Area. And uh, we've known each other for an, a number of years. Uh, she went through the Dedicated Practitioners Program and uh, is a very uh, dedicated, sincere practitioner. Uh, and the event was um, a kind of um, fundraising slash bon voyage as she um, headed off to Nepal. You can see um, CK and uh, two YouTube clip, uh, clips that uh, share about her... Uh, her journey uh, on YouTube. The first one is called Catherine's Gift. If you go to YouTube and go to Catherine, Catherine's Gift, it's just four minutes or so. And then when you follow, uh, when the YouTube clip ends, the next thing that comes up is a tribute to Catherine. Um, and on that first one, Catherine's Gift, um, the poem that I just read, Mary Oliver's poem, is, is right there on the, uh, on, the, um, on the heading. I had not been familiar with that poem before, but reading it and then hearing Kay talk um, really touched me deeply. So I'll share a little bit about Catherine's story and maybe a couple of other stories and see how it relates to our story, your story my story, the, the human story. So Kay um, is this, this really um, um, radiant being who um, there's such goodness that comes out of her. And uh, she had um, Catherine uh, as a single mother uh, and uh, if you see the the two clips, Catherine 
uh, an extraordinary, um, vivacious, um, beautiful, and um, um, just joyful spirit. Um, and they were very close. And after she graduated from high school, she decided to have a gap year, as often people do. Um, And um, she and a friend uh, set off on their adventure, and she was going to be gone for a year. Uh, And uh, she left Adelaide, where Kay lives, uh, and uh, in Melbourne... Um, she um, met some uh, some people that were not not the kind that a mother would want a daughter to be hanging out with, um, and the first and only time that she ever uh, experimented with drugs, she overdosed at the age of 19. Just let that land for a moment. You kind of um, need to just take a moment to breathe it in, how anything can happen at any time. As Joseph Goldstein, one of my main teachers says, anything can happen at any time. And it took Kay, who just loved, loved so much, you could see her in the, in the pictures, just beaming with, with Catherine, her daughter. It took her a while to get through the grief. I met her, um, let's see, it's 18th anniversary this, uh, on the 27th, is the 20th, Saturday is the 18th anniversary of of Catherine's um, passing when she was 19. And I first met Kay, I guess, about uh, mm, eight or so years ago, and um, maybe a little bit more. And she was, she was still processing the, the, the grief. Uh, but um, she wanted to make, what did she say? Uh, I wanted my daughter's life to make a difference. And um, in her grieving process, mm. she met this fellow from Nepal, <clears throat> and she w- would travel all around the world, uh, and she met this fellow from Nepal named uh, Prakash, who lost both of his parents, uh, very close to each other, uh, very close uh, uh, timing on losing first his father, then his mother, uh, while he was in high school in, uh, in Nepal. And they had sent him, I think, to Kathmandu, where he went to school. And they, li- they lived in way out in... Um, um, uh, very, very um, rural Nepal in a town called Lalu, L-A-L-U. And uh, after his parents died, and he was very close with his parents, he came back to 
Nepal, to his hometown and uh, decided in their honor to build a school because there is a, a, a need for a good school in, uh, in his town. And uh, he did. And then went on to build schools in a number of different villages as a tribute to his parents. And when Kay and Prakash met, there was this instant bonding. Here, she had lost her child, and he had lost his parents, and it was like they found each other. And uh, was, there was this magical bonding. And when he told her that... Um, took, it takes $10,000. She said, how do you build a school? How much do you need? She said, he said, it takes $10,000 to build a school. And she said, really? I want to build a school. I want you to build a school for Catherine. And I'll figure out some way to raise the money. Uh, And that is what she's the the project that she was involved in uh, this past year year and a half, and she raised the ten thousand uh, dollars just before she left uh, the final uh, the final donation, and she was um, just off on Wednesday to fly to Nepal. We saw her on Sunday. Uh, there was a big um, lovely event, and uh, Eve Decker played some music, uh, some very moving songs, and uh, there was great food and uh, a celebration of this successful campaign, and we watched the the video together. Um, And uh, on Saturday, the 18th anniversary of Catherine's passing, they're breaking ground to start school. And she wrote this, uh, this book for the school. Uh, it's, uh, she wrote the, um, the content and uh, this uh, really amazing artist, I love these pictures, um, did the artwork for it, a kangaroo tail. It's a fun little thing about uh, a kangaroo nana who uh, loses, uh, whose tail can come off and the kid's have lost the tail, and but she's very cool about it. She's she's a meditator, and uh, is showing how mindfulness doesn't get you upset, and you just keep cool, keep calm, and eventually the tail shows up, and uh, everybody lives happily ever after. Um, and this was as a, a fundraising um, project for her. And also that uh, she's got a whole lot of these books to bring to the school. Um, it was so moving just seeing, as, as she said, when, when she and Prakash uh, bonded, that they both wanted to make something beautiful out of something so tragic. And it got me thinking how that is often how life works, isn't it? Mm. 
There's a a poem by Dana Falls. I read a lot of Dana Falls poems here. Uh, she's this amazing poet. Um, called Every Step is Holy. The journey from the known to the unknown, from the unreal to the real, is rarely revealed in advance. The potholes, detours, false starts, and quick retreats are each honorable and even needed in the bigger scheme in the forest that can't be seen between the trees. It took years for me to realize that the very twists and turns and shadows I labeled problems were really sacred ground, grace disguised as obstacles. The whole pass, a pilgrimage, mysteries, bearing themselves before me all along the way. i read that last part again. It took years for me to realize that the very twists and turns and shadows I labeled problems were really sacred ground, grace disguised as obstacles. The whole pass a pilgrimage, mysteries bearing themselves before me all along the way. Isn't that how it works? Grace disguised as obstacles. So I have another story that's current in my my life uh, around this, uh, this same theme. Mm. A friend of ours, a, a very dear old friend uh, of ours, uh, is in a relationship with a really amazing guy who uh, has done lots of environmental work and, and really made a difference in third world countries and things like this. And uh, he loves to surf. And he was successful in his business that allows him to do his beautiful environmental work. And he has a a place, a second place, a second home besides where he lives in the States, in Costa Rica. And he surfs there um, regularly. And uh, while we were in Europe, uh, this uh, we got the news of this... um, uh, astounding event. He was surfing and then going uh, from one body of water across a little shallow isthmus to another body of water in Costa Rica and a crocodile attacked him. And immediately clamped down, got his leg, dragged him down below the water. And um, he kept, uh, he struggled. At one point, his head 
was in the crocodile's mouth. You're, you've got your mouth open. That was exactly what I looked like when, I, when we read this and it made some news. I was just, can you imagine your head in the crocodile's mouth? Somehow he survived. <laughs> it made news. He lost his leg. I spoke with him this morning because it was the first, we just came home a few uh, last week and we were uh, on the phone with uh, his partner and he was there and he's recovering. He had, uh, what, nine units of blood they, they needed to, um, uh, to save him. And so I was saying, what was that like? You read the accounts, but I say, okay, what was that like? Here I could get it firsthand. I read all the accounts. What was going through your mind? And he said he was pulled down, and the first the thought that came to him just so clearly was, I am not ready to go yet. And he just got very clear he was not going to go. And he punched the crocodile with all his might and somehow opened up his mouth and he escaped. He did lose his leg. And then, but I said, well, what have you learned from this? I figure you've got to learn something from that. If you, people are going to be asking him for the rest of his life. He's you know, lost a leg. He's getting fitted for a prosthetic device. And he said it was so beautiful. He somehow managed to get free, but he was, he was in shock. And he had lost his surfboard. And he was with a friend. And the friend... Um, uh, got the surfboard to him so he could at least be above water while he was fighting the crocodile. And finally, the crocodile said, this is too much to bother. I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, but his friend, uh, he said, I wouldn't have survived if my friend, he held on to his friend who uh, dragged him in. Then he got on the beach and... His friend needed to call for help. He was clearly in very bad shape. Amazingly, there was a woman who never goes to, this is really early in, in the morning, as, as I recall, who never goes uh, to, the, to, to that beach, but she just happened to go to that beach at that, that time and had something that she wrapped around as a tourniquet, and that if it wasn't for his first friend, he would have been gone. And then he said, if it wasn't for her putting on the tourniquet, I would have been gone. And then uh, his friend called for help, and there was this, the, this rescue that got him to the hospital, uh, the local hospital. First they wanted to fly him by helicopter, but he was losing too much blood to go to a, a, a really good hospital. Uh, they said, no time for that. So they went to the first hospital, 
that just at least got him out of shock, you know, where it just was, was doing the, the first triage, then to the next hospital where it was one of the finest hospitals in all of Latin America, supposedly. But he said, what really has pulled me through, um, there was this outpouring of love that so many people uh, wrote to him and were keeping him in, his, in their prayers. And he said, um, just knowing that kept me going. That's, I've never been on the receiving end, and this is a very loved guy, I've never been on the receiving end of that much love and that much grace. And it's had a very profound impact on me. So his tragedy became the catalyst for all of this caring and compassion that somehow pulled him through. Pretty amazing, huh? And I, I asked our, our friend, well, what does it, did he, was it really in the, the mouth? <laughs> I did, you, know, I, 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 you know, it sounds so dramatic. Was it, I said, was it really in the mouth? And she said, it's amazing how the healing is happening, but there's last, there were lacerations all over his face. He broke his, his nose was broken, and there are lacerations, but somehow uh, they're healing up. And yeah, his head was in the mouth of the crocodile. I have visited this moment in my mind many times in the last few weeks. When, when things are going tough, I have a new bar <laughs> for dukkha, for suffering. <laughs> and here we are talking about it and laughing about it and having the mind blown about it. And he's going to have a story for the rest of his life about how love can pull you through and how caring and compassion and the, the will to live and the love of life can pull you through. And there was a, we saw a, a, a video clip of him swimming uh, in, in the pool uh, as part of his rehab. And the amazing thing, and you can see just one leg is, is basically not there at the, uh, just around at the knee. And, but he's swimming in a straight line. And he, and they said that was the one thing that he was, he, one thing that he was wondering about, would he swim in a straight line? And he's swimming in a straight line right through the lane. So, okay, enough of the drama. Now let's get to some other aspects of this reflection. Mm. Dukkha, suffering, is a part of life. There's no way around it. And I, you know, many people know, oh, I, I teach awakening joy, and uh, aren't we having a good time? And yeah, I'm, I'm all for not missing all the beauty and the goodness in life. But the first noble truth is there's suffering in life. And as we can learn how to process it, then um, we open ourselves up that much more to the joy 
if I can find, where's this poem? Yeah, this is Khalil Gibran from the prophet on joy and sorrow. I'll just read this little excerpt. Your joy is your sorrow unmasked. And the self-same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Isn't that good? Your joy is your sorrow unmasked, and the self-same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Now, of course, you don't want to go looking for sorrow so you can have a whole lot more joy. You know, Trouble will follow us and find us in its own time. I remember on a, a, a retreat, one of my early retreats, I was, um, I was really having a fine time uh, just staying with my breath. This is after a few days, and I actually landed in the present moment. But everybody around me, or it seemed that many people around me, were going through boxes of tissues and just having all these deep catharses and you know, crying and wailing and all. And, and I was a little bit jealous, you know. <laughs> uh, and I went to my, te- not jealous, I just kind of, well, am I missing something here? And I, and I went to uh, my teacher saying, um, you know, everything, everybody around here seems to be getting a whole lot out of this and I'm just sitting here <laughs> watching my breath, you know, am I, am I missing something? And... He, he gave me some good advice. He said, don't go looking for trouble. It will find you soon enough. And it did and has. But suffering is part of life. It's the first noble truth. And when it comes, we have at least two choices that I can think of, probably more, but two obvious ones. One, it can cause us to contract and feel uh, bitter and uh, lead to more fear or more a sense of um, anger at life. Or it can open us up and deepen our understanding of the human experience and of what the lessons are that we're supposed to learn in this lifetime. We have two choices, at least. Isn't it amazing how some people can have something happen to them and say, life is unfair. And yeah, There is a mystery to why things happen. The Buddha said, if you try to understand karma, it's one of the the four imponderables. You will go crazy trying to say, 
Why has this happened to me? Is a, a, a great book um, by this uh, Jewish rabbi, I think. Why, when, good, when bad things happen to good people, it's so mysterious. And if you see, if you try to figure it out, what did I do that was wrong? Why did this happen to me or happen to my loved one? You will go crazy. One of the four imponderables. And I'm sure your mind is saying, well, what are the other three right now? So I'll just share that uh, another is how it all started. Now we know, oh, it was the Big Bang, right? Where did that come from? Um, And what was before the Big Bang? Um, So how it all started and uh, the range of a mind in uh, the highest forms of uh, um, concentration and the range of the mind of a Buddha. Those are the four imponderables. But karma, this is the one for, for our conversation tonight, is thing to keep in mind. We can't know. And if you think of it in terms of lifetimes, many lifetimes, it can start to make a little bit more sense as I've shared here before, the Buddha saying, greater than the highest mountain uh, are all the, the bones of all the incarnations, all the, the births that you've taken. You've been doing this a long time in, in that way of looking. Greater than, than the four oceans are all the tears that you've shed. Um, so that kind of puts it into a, a little bigger context. Um, but there can be this sense of unfairness. Why did this happen to me? Or there can be this sense of, what can I do with this now that life has visited me in this way? Uh, one of my favorite books, um, How We Choose to Be Happy, I've, I've talked about it here a uh, n- number of times written by my friends Rick Foster and Greg Hicks, and they interviewed, just for those who don't know, they interviewed uh, for three years uh, 320 certifiably happy people. Uh, (laughs) And they they would check and see, is this person really happy? Yep. Well, what's your secret? Why are you so happy? And they distilled nine common choices that these people consciously or unconsciously made. And one of the key choices they call recasting. And what recasting means is when life has given them some tough stuff to work with, the, the inevitable dukkha, suffering in life, that somehow two aspects to recasting, one Letting yourself feel all the pain, not pushing it away, not denying, not stuffing, not numbing yourself, not, but somehow taking the time to process all the pain and sorrow like Kay did with, with her daughter Catherine so that it's, it's digested and, and integrated. Yes, this is part of the human experience like Gibran says, let it carve into your being. 
letting yourself feel it, and then to find meaning in it, to somehow find some meaning in this terrible thing that's happened to you. Recasting, they call it. This is what the Buddha talks about very clearly, teaching about suffering and the end of suffering. And in one teaching that I've mentioned here a number of times, such a profound teaching, the, uh, the teaching on transcendental dependent arising, where the Buddha starts out saying, suffering can be a causative factor for faith to arise. Faith can lead to gladness of heart. Gladness can become joy. Joy can become contentment, uh, happiness and contentment and peace and leading all the way to the highest um, stages of happiness, of freedom, of awakening. But it starts out with suffering can, not does, but can lead to faith. And as I often do when I, when I bring this up, uh, I, I've done this before in here, but I'll just have a, a quick, um, uh, quick barometer, a, a quick check. How many people have been motivated by suffering in their life to look for meaning and answers that have led them on in their spiritual life? Does that seem familiar? Look around you. Yeah. That's how it works. That's the great mystery that suffering shakes us up, wakes us up from our complacency so that we want to take a look and say, what is going on around here? How can I find some meaning in this life? R.D. Lang, who was uh, uh, an amazing mind, uh, he wrote a book uh, that was really influential on me, called um, uh, for me, called The Politics of Experience. Anybody read The Politics of Experience? A couple of people. It's, great. it's very thin. I, I thought, oh, cool, a really thin book that I've heard good things about. Every sentence counted in that book. It took me a while to get through it. And what he talks about is um, that those who've made the journey to the deepest hell realms are the greatest healers. If they make the journey and they come back and they know what true terror is like and know what the, the hell realm of the mind can be like and they come back, they have a great gift to offer people. And he himself had been in, in and out of uh, institutions, politics of experience. Uh, and it's, it's so true. When you are going through something really heavy, when life visits you in some way that you never bargained for, and the, the thought comes, this is not fair. 
which is a cer- certainly an understandable thought. I'm not saying, no, you should not have that thought. It's a human thought. Why is this happening? Job, why me? Or Jesus on the cross, why hast thou forsaken me? So you've got a lot of company in here. When life visits you in a very challenging way, just remember that you have a choice here and see, oh, do I want to have this contract me and create bitterness in my life for the, the next year or decades or lifetime? Oh, because this happened to me, I can never smile again. I can never laugh again. Or how can I open up to all of this in my own time, maybe titrating your dukkha, not doing it all at once, having all the support that you need, doing it a little bit of time. How can I find meaning in this like Kay did and how bright she, you should have seen her on Sunday, how bright she was. And she sent a, an email to me uh, the next day and saying, hey, how about if I come in on a Thursday night and, and we talk about grief? And I said, oh, and when I come back from Nepal, she's coming back in October, I said, that sounds great. I was going to talk about you on this Thursday. She said, oh, we'll talk about me. And go ahead, you can talk about it if it's helpful. And I'll come back anyway and share my, uh, uh, our, our story. Um, you can find meaning in it. And when I, you know, one of the privileges and honors in, in being in, in the, the seat of being a guide, helping guide people to themselves, is that I hear some very, um, very painful stories of dukkha. That's what, with all those hands raised, that's often what brings people to practice. Or when you're on retreat, those things can come up where early trauma comes up. And when somebody is with me and I see that they have a commitment to open up and work through their pain and grow through it, I sometimes will say overtly, uh, or if the, when the timing is right, uh, share with them, that I see them as um, really um, valuable investments in my time because they will have something to offer. You will have something to offer others that will be there for them in their most difficult moments. And you'll be able to say, oh yeah, I know what it's like. So that's part of if you've somewhere in your heart signed up for some bodhisattva ideal, some bodhisattva, you are a bodhisattva in training. If every time you go through your suffering, you see it as deepening your capacity for compassion, first for yourself and then to offer to others. This is from, uh, I can find it, from Pema Chodron. 
When I was about six years old, I received an essential teaching from an old woman sitting in the sun. I was walking by her house one day, feeling lonely, unloved, and mad, kicking anything I could find. Laughing, she said to me, Little girl, don't you go letting life harden your heart. Right there, I received this pith instruction. We can let the circumstances of our lives harden us so that we become increasingly resentful and afraid, or we can let them soften us and make us kinder and more open to what scares us. We always have this choice. A box full of darkness. Someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. You don't have to wait years. It can be a living process right within you, the Buddha plant growing and blossoming. So before we open up to um, see if there's any questions or comments, uh, maybe take a moment to just go inside right now. And if there's anything that you're processing right now, these days, maybe you are dealing with some challenges in your life, some external circumstances or internal circumstances, or maybe you're feeling overwhelmed by the pain of the world. How can you find meaning? How can you recast it so that you feel your pain and transform it into a gift so that you can keep developing in your bodhisattva in training practice? How can this deepen you so that you can open up to all the goodness inside and share it with the world? And if any image comes or a sense of how your suffering can be transformed into compassion and wisdom. Get in touch with that image and that possibility and perhaps plant the seed, that intention, to help bring that about.
Okay, so we have a few minutes if there's any uh, any comments, questions, observations before we close with a loving kindness. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, thanks, Andrew. Hi, everybody. And put it right next to your lips. On an All right. That's it. Great. Um, my mother died a couple of days ago. Mm, your um, mother? My mother. I'm so sorry. And um, everything was beautiful because she was... 90 years old, and mm-hmm. uh, she have. She was able to make a lot of challenges become a gift, and that was beautiful. A little bit louder, yeah. I was um, I was in peace with her death until mm-hmm. my sister, who was there, told me that the hospital she was wanted to get rid of her because the insurance didn't cover. And feeling that injustice. Um, kind of a, is touching a dark part myself. Um, how to feel in peace with injustice is, is a question. I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. So you were feeling peace and feeling really uh, connected to your mother, and there was there was something so right about her passing, right? So you're that's that's the most important relationship in this in this whole scene, right? Um, it's what you focus on. It's what you focus on, and one way you can think of it is, oh, my mother had such a a peaceful passing, and you were were there and ended with a really good relationship with her. What her partner felt is his karma— uh, there was it was a natural it was a natural passing is that are you saying that is it a natural passing when she was transferred to the next um, hospital the second hospital was a this is happening in Venezuela uh-huh. where a lot of things are lacking where what a lot of things are lacking food uh-huh. medicaments and everything she died in an ambulance. And the ambulance didn't have the equipment to keep her alive. Mm-hmm. And that's the sense of that bringing unfairness and, and justice for me. Mm. And then suddenly I'm dealing with that initial feeling in peace with her death. Mm. And now dealing with this view of what happened was unjust. And yeah. uh, it's hard to reconcile those mm-hmm. two things. Mm. I see. Yeah. So there is both the the fact that she did have a a full life and and died it sounds she did die peacefully um and there's the injustice that you know as uh, uh Andrew Harvey uh somebody who's inspired me uh says uh, follow your heartbreak and where 
if you feel that there's an injustice and it's not resolved, then doing what you can to address that kind of situation, um, whether it's here or in Venezuela or whatever, that's all the mystery of karma. Um, And so if you choose, if you focus on the injustice and let it embitter you, then that's just more pain and contraction. If you focus on the fact that your mother died at 90, which is a, a full, long life, and yes, there's, there's things to, uh, uh, there's, there's ignorance in the world, and there's things to, to work for, for that injustice, to fight that injustice. Don't fight with bitterness. Bitterness just poisons you. Um, f- uh, come out of love to honor your mother. And your mother probably would want you to be really um, feeling good about your relationship with her and about your life. So I hope you can process that frustration and stay connected to the love that's, that's there. And I'm, I'm, I feel for you. So, okay, one, one, if it's a quick one, then we'll, then we'll go. Um, well, I actually have two quick ones. Um, uh, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> one is that in my, in my life, in dealing with the, 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 the sorrows and losses that I have suffered, I've come to feel, and maybe this is me recasting, mm-hmm. is that what's inevitable is pain, and that what's optional is suffering. Right. The fame, suffering, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Yes. And the other thing is that in the course of dealing with the most painful things is exactly where the most joyful things are. It's not it later. It's ex- wh- that's exactly where the most joyful things live as well. Yes. It's not later right. that they happen. It's for me, it's been in those exact moments mm. that I have felt the most intense joy, mm. even while I was mm. going through the most painful things. Mm. Uh, interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's uh, briefly dedicate the merit. Um, open to the mystery. Open to your own goodness. Open to the possibility of transforming our pain or our sorrow into uh, deepening compassion and wisdom. And may our coming here together ripple out and be of benefit to everyone we know and out to all beings everywhere. May all beings know true inner happiness and peace. Okay, thank you very much for your attention. Have a great week. See you in a few weeks.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.